in the fiction that I was trying to establish, I was this roguish but dashing. And you haven't won me over yet. And you were just like, this would be like in a Jane Austen novel. <laughs> it's like, I'm so horny, and you're so politely horny. <laughs> yeah. Why, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Pemberley, I do like the shape of your ankles. Ah, oh, yeah. I bet you have a big dick. That's basically what just happened. This is the Big Bang Theory theory. <laughs> I stole that from... So, I didn't do it as well, but that's basically a Key and Peele sketch. So oh, I that's can't, Kyle ripping off Key and Peele. Yeah, I can't... I'm giving them credit, because otherwise I'd Nick be a plagiarist. staring him down. Uh, who doesn't like Key and Peele? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with Key and Peele, but the, the plagiarism. It's not plagiarism. I just acknowledged where I got the joke from. Oh, well, you know, you had to do it on the back end of it. You couldn't up up front say, this is Key and Peele, not me. I'm creatively bankrupt. Does it matter? It matters to me. I have the utmost integrity when it comes to the jokes. <laughs> okay. I only steal from people who no one would ever recognize. That's a good trick. Uh, anyway, we should talk about the show. Did we say this is the Big Bang Theory we Theory? We said this is the Big Bang Theory I'm Theory. I'm Kyle. And I'm Nick. Okay, just All right. in case. Knocked that out twice now. Uh, and this is a show where we watch the entirety of the series, The Big Bang Theory. Well, we try. Well, we're doing as well. We're doing, we have yet, we are so goddamn consistent in our output. And I think that's what puts us above 99% of other crappy podcasts. I'm not saying that we're not a crappy podcast, but goddamn it, we are consistent in our shitty output. I do expect that one day in the near future, we will have made more episodes of, of audio fiction about The Big Bang Theory than any other podcast. I think we may already be there. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, what a shitty moon to be the first man on. Oh, man. But I don't know. We get to spend all of our time on that moon with our favorite cast of wacky characters. That's not so bad. You know, we're, we're not so much marooned as we are in hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with that, uh, we should dive into the episode summary. Oh, I actually should say, yeah, we watch a show every couple of weeks. Uh, we try to explain why the hell anyone else would watch it. We try to discuss the more problematic elements of it to the extent that they exist. And when an episode is good, we sit here gobsmacked because we don't know what to talk about anymore when the show defies our expectations and is actually interesting or entertaining. Uh, fortunately, that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, on today's episode, uh, what we had going on was uh, Leonard, not sorry, not Leonard, Sheldon, had been invited to speak on NPR about something to do with monopoles. I don't know. Could you explain that at all? No, not- I don't even know if it's real science. Like, I yeah. do remember it is tied in. Like, the whole point he went of him going to Antarctica was to see if he could discover these theoretical... This- I think the neutrinos. No, not neutrinos. No, they were mono- magnetic monopoles. Okay. That was explicitly said. And he thought he had discovered them, but it turned out that his buddies were just juking the equipment because they were... Uh- they, they were worried that they would murder him if they had to stay in Antarctica yeah. any longer. So um, well, so apparently sometime between then and now, he either did discover them or his theory has gained enough mainstream credence that even though he has no evidence, people are still willing to talk to him about him on NPR. So we have an airtight show that is consistent in its scientific underpinnings. Yeah, I have no idea if a magnetic monopole is a thing. Fuck if I know. Probably. Or what it would mean for it to be a thing. So that... You know, I know we, I was only just about to start the uh, summary of the episode, but I think let's take a quick break anyway to talk about how I think this is a perfect example of what nerds really are. Like, neither of us knows shit about whether or not half the stuff on the show is real, but we're nerds because we enjoy the same culture and media. But, I mean, you've brought it up that it's it's an easy assumption that nerds are always smart and half the time 
They're just like any other demos that happen to like comic books, though. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, well, I th- I think there are two things. I do think that um, people who are super into the minute. I mean, first off, one thing that all nerds have in common is they get hyper fixated on things, right? So there, so if you're hyper fixated on comic books, then you accumulate knowledge about comic books. If you're hyper fixated on scientific facts, you know the the pre science version is like the kid who won't shut the fuck up about dinosaurs, right? Like that's the early incarnation of the science nerd. I don't, like, I don't can like I the just ire name... with which you're treating this kid, I just want to say. I'm just saying, we have all know this kid. He's like, let me name 100 different dinosaurs. And I'm saying that kid rules is all. Okay. Anyway, anyway and that kid, go, may, uh, he either goes on to become obsessed with comic books or obsessed with quantum physics, or sometimes, and I do think this is true, probably there's some overlap there. If you're the kind of person whose brain gets all wrapped up in, you know, science and mathematical theory, then it is probably slightly more likely that you're going to get uh, interested in, like, rocket ships and science fiction. That, I think, is the really weird thing that, um, uh, the really weird transition, actually, is I think back in the day, it was basically, like, science people and science fiction went hand in hand. And somehow we went from, like, Star Trek. Like, basically, you know, a lot of people were hardcore physicists also like Star Trek and, you know, and stuff like that. And somehow it bled over from just being about, like, loving Isaac Asimov or loving Star Trek to just loving anything pop culture. And that is the real bleed through because there's a much lower barrier of entry to, like, you know, liking, um, I don't know, fucking Superman comics than there is to liking, uh, you know, Arthur C. Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama. I'm nodding, by the way, for this audio format. I am nodding. Uh, but I don't know exactly how that happened. Yeah, I don't know. This is actually, this is one of my big, basically, okay, I'm going on too long of a tangent. Let me just, I'll finish here. Pop culture is not all one thing. To me, the thing that drives me crazy is we act like pop culture is like an amorphous mono event. And really, it's not. like Who, who does? Every, particularly television. Like, television assumes that all of these four people right on the show... The four main nerds, they all know everything about everything nerdy. They've all seen every Planet of the Apes movie, every Star Trek movie, every Star Wars movie. Not everything pop culture, though. I doubt they could name popular musicians or actors or uh, sportsmen. Okay, fine. You're right. But my point is, even within that category, it is not actually the case that, like, everyone who likes Doctor Who is also has an encyclopedic knowledge of, like, the Back to the Future films, the the Star Trek movies, the, you know, every single book ever written by, you know, a science fiction author in the history of time. Like, those interests do sort of orbit around each other, but they're never, but they're very rarely congregated in the same human being. And a lot of times people are friends because they have tangential interests, but they very rarely have exactly the same interests. In fact, as you and I both probably have experienced, it's actually exhausting to talk to someone who has exactly the same interests as you. That's like uh, this last week or two weeks ago. Um, I-, I spent a week doing a video game playtest, which that's really all I can say about it. But, um, you know, it's other people there who were chosen because they're so into video games and nerdy enough that they'd be willing to sit and play video games for hours and hours and hours on end. And I nonetheless found that even though I'm in that group of people talking to, there's one other guy in particular, I was like, 
I can't do this right now with you. I cannot talk about video games with you. I would talk about literally anything else. This is exhausting. You love something so much as I love it, and I want nothing to do with this. Yeah, exactly. It's like, because it's like, what are you going to say that's actually surprising or novel to me? It's like, hey, did you play this game? I sure did. Yeah. I also played this game. Oh, me too. Yeah, hey, bro, did you make it to this level? Like, yeah, I made it to that level. Everyone who plays the game is either going to make it to that level or not. It's a shut up. Shut your fucking mouth. We should summarize the episode. You started it. Uh, no, I'm... What? Hey, hey. No, you started the summary. Please finish the summary. Okay. All right. I don't trust this one, but... Where the hell were we? Yeah, so Leonard, I did it again. Sheldon has to talk about monopoles for NPR. Uh, and he's excited about the opportunity. But uh, Kripke, minor character whose only real defining characteristics are that he's uh, an impish turd and that he has a speech impediment, uh, decides that he's going to hilariously plank Sheldon by putting uh, a, uh, a tube into his office that is piping in helium. And so you get this, I actually really liked, you get this cartoonish shot of Kripke in some sort of like back area closet or something, like diabolically wringing his own hands as he prepares to loosen up the, the valves to the helium uh, is the most cartoonish goddamn thing that's happened on the show so far, I believe. And I actually really loved it, that two seconds. Uh, and so it ruins the the NPR interview because Sheldon is uh, has his hilariously high-pitched voice. Um, and he is betrayed by his friends. Kripke brings a radio into the university cafeteria so the rest of the gang can all listen, and they rightfully believe it is hilarious. Uh, and for the second half of the episode, it is Sheldon's goal to wreak revenge and havoc upon Kripke for his, his diabolical scheme, which he does in turn by uh, setting up a prank that dumps foam, like orange foam, all over Kripke's lab. Which seems like a bad idea in the first place, because when he was piping, when Kripke was piping the helium into Sheldon's office, it's just his office. There's nothing necessarily flammable in there. It's not going to be dangerous. It's just going to be a silly goof, which, in the worst case scenario, would lead to Sheldon being asphyxiated. Yeah. <laughs> but to dump a bunch of foam in, like, a lab full of technical equipment seems like a bad idea in the first place. To me. That's me being judgy. But then also, Kripke has the... Uh, university president and a bunch of other uh, hoity-toity types there to explain how his grant funding is going and they all get dumped with foam and then a video plays with Sheldon taking credit for it and also acknowledging that Leonard and Raj helped him do it Uh, and so then they all have to live with their embarrassment and shame and wondering what they're going to do with their careers when they're inevitably fired even though we know that's never going to happen and the idea will be dropped by the next episode and then the other half of the episode is uh, Wallowitz Goes on a date with Bernadette. It's date number three. They finish up. Bernadette is like, are we fucking or what? And Wallowitz yeah. doesn't know how to respond because he doesn't know if he wants a girlfriend or if he just wants a, a one night of passion with Bernadette. She seems fine with either, but she just needs to know what it's going to be so she can prepare her heart. Uh, and so Wallowitz uh, has a, a meditative date with Katie Sackhoff in his bathtub. Imaginary Katie Sackhoff. To tell him that, hey, maybe instead of jerking off to my image in the tub, you should actually just go out with Bernadette, you creep. Uh, and so he then goes to the Cheesecake Factory and attempts to win Bernadette back uh, because he hasn't talked to her in a week and she's mad at him. By proposing to her, and when that doesn't work well, he comes back later on to uh, 
to take advantage of a uh, a band setup that is there in the dining room of the Cheesecake Factory so he can serenade her from a keyboard about how wrong he was and how he just wants to make it up with her and be with her and go on this fourth date where apparently they're going to bone each other's brains out or whatever. Uh, and she finds it incredibly charming, and that is the end of the episode. Uh, and that was season three, episode nine, title of which this week was The Vengeance Formulation. God, that sucks. <laughs> I'm officially ending this game. It's I never enjoy it. It was fun at first when we were like, oh, it's probably going to be a bad title, right? And it is consistently done in the grave. Well, it's why is it such a, like, why did they think that they were going to be able to come up with episode after episode of the blank, 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 and think that it was going to work? Why do they even have titles? Honestly, why do sitcom episodes need titles? I don't understand it. Well, that, I know, that's because back back in the syndicate, I mean... Actually, okay, so I'll admit, I don't know why they do anymore, but I'm sure that back in the day it had to do with how syndication and TV guides worked, right? Because you actually had to decide in advance, before the episode started, oh, and they didn't have TiVo yet. So you literally had to pick up your magazine, look at what the episode was going to be about, read a description of it, and decide if that seemed worth, like, 30 minutes of your time that night. Kyle? And so... Whatever you just said is fucking crazy do you think anyone that watches the simpsons was looking at the tv guide and going like i love this show i watch it every week but do i want these specific antics why from Homer so this week? Here, if that's not the if if there isn't some dem if there wasn't at some point some demographic people who of people who did that why did tv guides exist i think they existed just to show you when television was happening then why did they include descriptions of the episodes because they are fools <laughs> They, they went above and beyond doing work that was unnecessary. Taking a plane break! <laughs> Welcome to the jungle! We got fun and games! We got everything you want! Tell me the next line. I can't do it. No, we know the your pain. <laughs> no one can do it! I just know the line after that is, You're a very sexy girl. Very hard to please. Jungle! Welcome to the jungle! This is a different podcast now! Now! <laughs> anyway, um, you also forget that back in the day, they actually used to, well, still, I guess they do, they would advertise episodes of television before they came out. Like, I, I'm sure if you had watched the. They still do that, don't they? Like I know, but the, it's, TV? it's just, it's weird. Again, why? Because people are either, like you just said, they're either going to watch the episode or they're not. Why? Why have a promo before it but i bet i i can almost it's like i I don't remember if i actually saw it or if i'm just making it up but i can just imagine the promo for this episode which would feature katie sackoff in the bathtub almost exclusively and make you think that she was like all over the episode that's true and really it was just of course a trick where she was in the episode for five seconds but they would have they would have really played up that whole angle so that you were like, special guest appearance, Katie Sackhoff. Oh, I love her. What's she up to these days? This this does trigger a memory for me when, um, I, I don't even know what show it was. I was at a friend's house and I remember for like the whole week whenever we were watching TV, it was the same commercial over and over again for some sitcom. Um, they must have played it like at every single commercial break. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to remember it. And there was a line in there about someone calling a stranger on the phone and saying, they're supposed to say, like, oh, I hope you've had an, a, a nice long summer. 
And instead it was like, mm, I hope you've enjoyed a nice long Hummer. And everyone laughs. And there was a part of it that was like, I need to figure out the context of this blowjob joke. I'm glad that they're setting it up. Because even though I've actually just got the punchline to the joke, I don't know the setup yet. And comedy sometimes works best when it's done backwards. I'm not being facetious here. I'm saying that's a real thing. <laughs> no, I know that. I believe you. I'm just... I am surprised that there was a Hummer joke on mainstream television, but... Yeah, TV's always been dirty. It's bad. All these people who think it's the devil box have been right all along, and I, uh, hailing also, from also, Sodom and or Gomorrah. I mean, I get it, but I've always thought Hummer was a weird, like... It's gross. I don't like it. Like, I've never actually heard a real person use it. I've only ever heard it on TV, so I kind of thought it was like a... I, I heard it one time on an episode of Law & Order, and it was before... I, I was like, that's... No one really says that. Yeah, that's like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone in real life uh, say, I need to get laid or something like that, even though that's a phrase that's super common. That's, I think that's just a more old fact. I mean, we're, that's I true. think part of it is that we're very profane. Well, we millennials, we're a very profane bunch. We're just like, yeah, you need to go out and fuck somebody or whatever. That's um, true. Yeah, millennials don't get, they're too specific. Like, I don't want to be so general as to get laid. Either I'm sucking some dick or I'm eating some ass. Yeah, exactly. That's, I need to know the specific acts because there's no shame around any of it anymore. Yes. I, I was on a family vacation. I won't say which one of my relatives because some of them Wait, listen to this what? show. What? Where's this going, Kyle? No, it's just one of my relatives had a little too much to drink. And he literally he pointed at me. He's like, you know what that guy's problem? You know what Kyle's problem is? He just needs to get laid. And it was the first time a, a, a human being had actually said a sentence like that out loud. I would die on the spot. <laughs> I would just be so mortified by like a family member acknowledging my sexuality that I would just shit and shit and shit. <laughs> like, I don't think I would have any... And that's like best case scenario. That's like the one... Oh, that wasn't the weird part. The weird part was oh. that another relative was like, Ah, she come visit us sometime. We'll take care of it. And I was like, what is... What? Gross. Yeah. Weird and gross. I don't know. I th I mean, on the other hand, like, I think it is normal for, like, parents at least to be like, hey, what, you got a girlfriend or whatever? Because they want to know that, like, you know, you're a functioning human. Uh, but at the same time, the thought, I find it repulsive. I, I don't want to talk with any family member. Like, my sister has kids. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I literally don't know how, how those babies got inside of her. My parents... Who knows how they got me? I just like to think I was adopted. I was I was born from immaculate conception. Came out of a seashell in a in a junkyard somewhere. Ah, that's a nice mix of like postmodern imagery and the Aphrodite myth. I I appreciate <laughs> oh, what you're going you for, for. Thank you for acknowledging my my mixed cultural sources. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, you did it. So you almost had a weird. So right at the beginning of this episode, I thought it was weird because he he goes on the he's on the basically Bernadette's front porch. They're having a nice – I actually like their dynamic, which is that he is perpetually, like, either self-deprecating or trying to be disarmingly funny. And sometimes he's actually funny and sometimes he's not. But she is yeah. a hyper-literal person. I have – I've, that's always a fun dynamic on television where, you know, it's just like, are you joking? Because I can't tell if you're joking or not. It's not nearly as funny in real life. But it's fun on television. Um, yeah, I uh... – I was relating pretty hard to Wallowitz as much as I hate to say, because he's, you know, the regular sex criminal. But when he is trying his hardest and failing and succeeding simultaneously at being endearing, it's like, yeah, that's kind of my game. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I just awkward my way through every situation and hope for the best. Yeah. But you just reminded me, too, of like the taking things literally. I fucking I went on a date once 
And we were looking, uh, we were in a museum and there was a stained glass painting from, I don't know, Yield and Times. I just said stained glass painting. Stained glass window from Yield and Times. And it had the word justice spelled on it. But the U was a V, which makes perfect sense. Uh, but I made a dumb joke about it where I was like, those idiots didn't even know how to spell justice back in the day. And she very patiently, the video I did with, <laughs> explained to me... <laughs> And I, I it was, did you want to die the whole time? It was the worst. There's nothing worse than pretending to be dumb and then having, and then someone being like, "No, I'm pretty sure they're actually stupid." Oh, it hurts! It hurts so bad. Uh, and, then, and then there's the extra dynamic too. It's like, how dumb must you be if you think I'm that dumb? Oh God, we're spiraling now. We can never be together. Oh, yes, yeah. I like that. That's funny. Um, but. I was going to say, at the end of that, so she's like, you need to decide before we bone if what you want between the two of us. And then she leaves him on the front porch. And then he immediately, in the next cut, he goes to, he's at uh, that the apartment. He doesn't go home. He goes straight to uh, Leonard's and, like, starts eating, telling them how the date went and eating the fridge. And I was like, who goes from a date directly to, like, oh. their buddy's house? And you obviously had a story, so I no, teamed no, I, you up. No, no, I don't, I don't have a story. I was just saying um, that that is a, was a normal thing in my life when I was still in a small, tight-knit community. And when I go back to Montana to visit my friends, that is still a thing. There's, like, a friend or two who have, like... They're just like the central hub area, and that's what's happened with Leonard. Like in a like in a video like game, in a, you go it's, there. It's like you. Uh, here's where the blacksmith and the potion seller live, and also the and the tavern. That's exactly it. Get some Except gossip. Pick up some of, side quests instead of like you know the, the potion seller and the blacksmith or whatever. It's that's where you go. You bring a six pack of beer. You get some drugs and you watch a movie and you talk about your feelings. But it's just, it's always a come and go kind of thing. And I had that as a kid too. And I don't know if that's like a normal thing anymore, like when you're younger. I know that as an adult who left my home and has had to like make new friends all over again, like a lot later in life, not late in life, but you know, like nah, I had to for start you, over. for you pretty late in life, let's well, say my thirties, I, I moved to LA when I, I was just about to turn 33. I was already bad at making friends and I've always been lucky enough that I've just been forced into communities and coming out to LA, it was a lot harder. And so I don't have that anymore, but I think that's a pretty normal thing. Like, I, I remember, like, once... Did I ever tell you how I broke up with somebody because of the director's cut of Dark City? I feel like yes. I brought that up on the podcast. Multiple times. Yeah, but afterwards, like, I went back to my friend's house after a breakup, like, with everyone just hanging out. And it was just, like, in the show... And we talk because we're all friends and we know each other and we spend a lot of time together. Yeah, that does sound delightful now that you mention it. I guess I, I kind of remember college being a little bit like that, although not very much. I'm For other people, at least, they had dynamics like that. You know, I am I am the lone wolf, yeah. of course. If I weren't... The if lone I, gunman, as it were. If I weren't ashamed of how, how dumpy the area I live usually is, I would invite people come to come over and do that a lot more. Basically, I just want excuses to make big meals for people. That's what I want. I, I want to be very domestic for my friends. You should do that. Well, hey, hey, buddy. Maybe after you're done with this, I can make something, huh? That'd be great. All right, I got the ingredients from some stir-fry. Well, how about a stir-fry? We should talk about the goddamn episode. All right. So well, people I mean, actually have friends in places they live. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's basically... So, yeah. 
Sheldon tries to get back at Kripke. That's not very... In- I feel like that entire half of the episode was pretty perfunctory. I didn't... The only thing that was interesting about it is that when Sheldon is having the most humiliating moment of his life, all of his so-called friends are laughing their asses off at him. Um, which, again, I don't know if that's really, like... I'm trying to think if you were getting horribly pranked on, uh, like, on, the on radio. national would I, radio. Yeah, would I be laughing or would I be, like... Trying we, we, desperately we, to rescue you in that moment. I we don't should know. focus on that a little bit because I, I actually I had the same thought during that part, and I was wondering. I was thinking about this the other day too, about uh, but I was thinking about it in terms of comedians or nerds or like funny people or more broadly weaklings, and how how I feel like in my life I don't have like real I don't have a profound sense of dignity. Like if I'm humiliated in public. I just kind of roll with it because I'm like, that's life. Stupid things are going to happen and it's going to be funny. But then I remember like some people cannot handle that. No. And become genuinely like insulted and will freak out because they have to like have their honor and their yeah, respect or whatever. Yeah, they'll kill people. Yeah. And I, fi- I find that kind of disgusting. Um, and I feel like it was kind of the same thing here where if that were to happen to the right person, they would very easily laugh it off because it's a silly thing. But I really don't think Sheldon is that type of person, um, and I think his friends would recognize that. And so I'm not. You could say it's inconsistent with how the characters normally are, whatever's going on. But his everyone, all of Sheldon's friends in this episode, I think, are monsters. Yeah, like as they usually. That are. was how I kind of felt. Like I, if it were to happen to Wallowitz, I feel like Wallowitz could play it off, and everyone would laugh. Wallowitz would be sad, but people would be like. Come on, this is just another one of your latest wacky hijinks adventures. Like, you're you're gonna be fine. But when Sheldon is humiliated like that by by his nemesis, no less, uh, you know, short of Leslie Winkler, who apparently is no longer on the show, R.I.P. Um, that uh, it's that's like a real serious thing. Like, I don't know how I would even handle it, honestly. If like if it were my regular life, and I if I had to, if I got pranked real hard on a show like that, I'd be fine. But, like, if it were for my job? Ugh. Yeah, that'd be hard. I mean, they do. Like, Leonard laughs, but he obviously, you don't see it, but he goes back and he commiserates and tries to help Sheldon feel better and come up, comes up with a ill-advised plan to strike yeah. back at vengeance and everything. So, I mean, I feel like they kind of try to rally, but it's just the sheer glee that they're having when he's being humiliated is a little disconcerting. Oh, I remember. So, no, you're, you're just talking about how uh, Leonard is understanding and tries to help him get revenge. Raj will not let it go. No. He thinks it is the funniest fucking thing he's ever heard in his life and will not stop making jokes about it. And, like, Sheldon is despondent. He's, like, lying in his bed, not willing to ever get up and come out again until the correct revenge plan is articulated. But it's, uh, yeah, like, he's in a real low spot, and Raj will not let up. Again, I'm not actually sure that's that, like... Again, Raj does not have a well-defined character, but one of the weird things that does seem to define his character is that he has basically, even, like, next to Sheldon, or arguably even less than Sheldon, he basically has no emotional intelligence. Like, it, it comes out less because he's less obsessive. So the reason Sheldon not understanding people or what they need or want um, is more prevalent on the show is because he's constantly trying to get his own way. Raj is much more content to let other people have their way, but he will just kick a motherfucker when they're down every time. That's true. That's probably because he was raised in a caste system. And so he's like, <laughs> you know, when people are less fortunate than you, that's how it's supposed to be. That's just, that's their it's lot just in the life. the divine order of things. Yeah. 
I shouldn't say things like that, knowing so little about the caste system, but there we go. I think it's, yeah, I don't know if it's still a real thing or how prevalent it is or what. I don't know. I, I, again, knowing very little about it, maybe it's something that's going away generationally, but I, I definitely hear of people around our age who have complained about like their parents' belief in the caste system or something like that. So I, I don't think it's that far off, or maybe it's just like... I sort of say, well, basically, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know the difference between a caste system and just good old American racism, which is like those people are lower on the food chain than us and deserve to die. I think the difference is that we lie about it in I the U.S. See. That we say everyone has the opportunity to grow up and to get get their money and get their good life instead of saying like, nope, that's you. That's sorry. This is your life. And it's all that's no, I was going to say something and it's just going to get too sad. <laughs> so... Um, we should start wrapping up. I will say Raj gets a good joke. I think this was the first, so I know so little about India that I realize I don't know what their language is. That, I mean, other than English, um, but Hindi, I want to say sounds Hindi. right. I don't know. Um, because a, what I thought was a, if not a great joke, then at least the, one of the first multicultural jokes on this episode that wasn't entirely racist, which is these like, yeah, I remember one time I was, I was on the Indian radio. I was the third caller to come in and. And say the catchphrase, which was, and then he proceeds to say something in another language, and they'll look at him, and he's like, oh, it just means, you know, what a great radio station. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice, that there, w- it was just uh, kind of like a silly, wholesome goof, in that it did not turn into uh, Raj or anyone else being the butt of a racist joke. Yes. So, yes, that was that was good. Hooray for that. <laughs> All um, right. Now we're wrapping up. Uh, and so, as always, I remind you that... Uh, the show, if you're listening to it, you already found it. Congratulations, you're way ahead of the game. Uh, you should tell other people about it, and you should tell them that they can find it just about anywhere. It's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on all the big podcatchers, whatever, it's easy. Um, we have a Twitter feed, well, not a feed, but a Twitter, which is BB Theory Squared. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which you can get to easily either by searching for us on Facebook or going to the website. Uh, bbttpodcast.com that'll redirect you to our Facebook page where you can like there and participate in the community, whatever that means and with that I think we should get on to our uh, happy nerd thing for the week would you like to begin or shall I? Uh, I'll go first this time because mine's pretty this is actually (laughs) I feel a little bit like when you recommended I'm going to recommend a video game I'm sure very few of our audience is familiar with or have played uh, it's a it's a little known gem. I, I pray to God that you're not just about to recommend the same game as I am. <laughs> it's called no, it's not. I'm not. Uh, it's called The Witcher Three. Uh, <laughs> tell me more. No, it's the third in a series that I've never heard of. How could this be? The Witcher Three, The Wild Hunt, to be specific. Um, I mean, this game was huge. Why can't it's basically? I'm mentioning it because there's a new version of it out on the Switch, um, which is like the dream for me. The Witcher 3 handheld. I was actually worried when it came out on the Switch that I was either... That either... Because the graphical downgrade was going to bother me because the original game is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a little weird. But it's not like... Basically, what I'm remembering is that, like, for me, the golden age of graphics was, like, the PlayStation 2. So, like... Um, I don't mean that's great. I just mean, like, I was raised on, em- like, being emotionally attached to, like, janky block faces yeah so, i get that so compared to that i really like you know any kind of graphical fidelity is fine so that's not really bothering me um 
And then I was worried that the combat wasn't going to translate well to like the handheld scheme, but it works great. Not having any problems with it, at least so far. Um, if anything, the controls are easier to reach and it's the screen's so close to my face that I can finally read all the cues that the enemies are about to jack my shit up. So yeah, with the doing a lot better with, in your face, you're getting a more cinematic experience. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm doing a lot more. Uh, my dodging is a lot more successful. But anyway, I'm babbling. What I should say is when I first played The Witcher 3, I was convinced that it was the greatest video game I had ever played. And uh, I still think that basically. I I. I might agree with you. Like, it's not, it's, it's really what blows me away every single, like, playing it again after a couple of years is just basically there are no cut corners anywhere in that game, as far as I can tell. And mostly I'm talking about in the writing and the, the pacing of the quests. It's like every, like, five feet in that game is like a new buried secret, Mm -hmm. and it's never like, a small thing. It's always like every little secret is like its own story that someone put, you know, a fair amount of thought into. Like, yeah, I'm only like an hour and a half in and it's just like, you're just riding around and all of a sudden there's an old lady outside a hut and she's like, I got to tell you, I don't know what to do. This dude ran inside my hut and he won't come out. And so you go in and the guy's dead. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, he was probably a spy for the military. And it looks like someone else caught up with him and murdered him and took his secret papers. And now, you know, who knows if we'll figure out what's up with that or if this is the only, you know, indication of it we're ever going to get. It's just the level of detail mm-hmm. in the world that doesn't like a lot of times, you know, a lot of games have a lot of detail, but it's usually it's like, oh, you want detail? Here's basically a book that you can find in the game that's incredible. Yeah. Would you like to read this like short story that somebody wrote that's just in the game that you can sit and read? Did, did you ever play Final Fantasy 13? No. That game was the worst about that, where none of the background was ever explained, like, through the course of the game. Instead, you had to, like, read these immense, like, like this encyclopedia of log entries to understand anything that was occurring in the game as you were playing it. And it was absurd. Yeah. So, compared to that, in this game, it's like you just, you're constantly interacting with the world. So, I just, it's... It's so it's so hard to t- like basically it would be its own pod we would ha- we could do our own podcast which we're not going to do but we could do a whole podcast like series just breaking down all of the little things I think that The Witcher 3 does on a narrative level to establish its universe and its tone and its characters they're just amazing just amazing on so many different levels I like even like the main I think one of the things that really sells it is just the main character is amazing he's like he's like on the surface, right, he should just be, like, a gruff... Like, there are so many protagonists that sort of aspire or in video games that feel like they're sort of the same character, which is, oh, he's this he's this gruff badass who just travels the wasteland kicking people's asses and, you know, clearing up side quests. But, like, every now... But because, like, they do two really interesting things. First off, they allow him to be occasionally sardonic and funny. Like, he's he's kind of gruff, but he still has a sense of humor. And yes. he still has, He basically... He still has the full range oh, of human emotions. I don't think you've described the character yet. We're talking about the main character, Geralt. Yeah. The Witcher in this game. Even though is Witchers it, are a series of... Is it, like... I don't know what you call them, mercenaries. Yeah, no, I mean, they're monster hunters. They're yeah. they're professional. They're not just professional. They're, like, raised from birth monster hunters. Almost like a cult of monster hunters. Yeah, well, expl- <laughs> I mean, in the fiction of the universe, basically, they 
you can't be born a witcher, but like if a witcher comes, like one of the things he can ask him in, in payment for cleaning up the town is he's like, I just want one of your kids. Yeah, just give me the baby and then I'll give them the magic poison. And if they if they live, they become one of me. Yeah, and so that's a but it's like when you meet this character, he feels very I think one good review described him as working class about it. Like he's just like, Yeah, you know the drill. I'm, uh, yeah, I came to town. Pay me the money. I'll kill the dragon. It's yeah. going to be fine. This is just what I do. Well, and I think it's remarkable in that uh, Witcher is generally, at least in this this game, uh, he will not work if you don't pay him, but it never really seems like he's being a dick about it either. It's not like they're dangling a baby in front of him and it's going to die if they don't give him 50 gold or whatever. He's... Yeah, I mean, he's he only ever asks what people can... It's more like a... It's just like an honor or custom thing. It's just like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, it's yeah it's like you know you always tip the driver you always you always pay your witcher it's just the polite thing to do um anyway i'm bad but the other thing that's great about that character is he's not alone like from the very beginning i think the thing that actually sets him apart the most is that most games where you play this type of character he's very isolated whereas in this game they make a good point to be like no he's got he's basically got it he's all he's got his mentor witcher who's like basically his you know gruff dad or uncle he's got this girl who's his surrogate child that he's always very strong with he's got all sorts of friends around the world you know, so you feel, despite the fact that, um, I think that was the main thing that struck me other than how good the story and immersion was, is that I think most games fail at the first hurdle of introducing their protagonist by making them too isolated. Whereas it's much more easy to, like, in fact, even in most games, they introduce you to, like, your family, and then, like, the first thing you do in, like, the very first level or first mission or the story usually starts with, oh, and now you're separated from all of them, and you have to go out into the world alone. It's like, you meet your mom for five minutes, and then she's like, well, see you, have fun on your quest storming the castle into feeding the evil overlord and discovering that you're the chosen one and this it's like nah whenever you want you can just go back and you know see how vesemir's doing mm-hmm. you know check on your girlfriend you, you have like an actual home you're yes you're, you're not just uh, a wanderer who's been going from location to location completely aimlessly wherever the wind takes you like no you have people like yes that's really, in its own way, that's almost as touching a fantasy as the whole being an invincible monster hunter, badass, you know, can bang any woman he wants thing. Yeah, until you face a drowner that is one level higher than you. <laughs> like I, then you're all fucked. I don't know, I, maybe they just, like, now that I think about it, it's possible that they just, in like, because I'm playing, like, the debugged edition that's like multiple years and iterations after the first version I played. Maybe they just changed the difficulty on it, but I'm playing it on hard mode and I'm having a much easier time than well, I did probably, when I was first playing it. It's probably because you know what you're doing this time. That is it. also true. It's like, a, it's my reactions are weird, like a lot more baked into my muscle memory than I had realized. Yeah. Anyway, Witcher 3, if you ever played it before, then it is still amazing, even on the Switch. Uh, in fact, it's more amazing because you can take that shit with you. Um, and then uh, if you haven't played it, what the fuck is, you know, if you like video games, you should play it. I, I will fully endorse this recommendation. I uh, played it on the PS4 and I invested 200 hours into that game. And even though that is a lot of time that I will not get back on this earth, well spent. Don't regret it. Yeah. Like, I play a lot of RPGs, and sometimes when I see how much time I put into them, which will usually be significantly less, like 30 or 40 hours, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? But no, Witcher was, like, great experience through and through. Love that game. Um, 
All right. Uh, I'll give my recommendation. I'll keep it short. Uh, I am going to recommend an older game as well, older than The Witcher. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Katamari Damacy. Ah, uh, yeah. Which uh, I just downloaded about a week ago on the Switch. And I played it when it first came out on the PS2, and we love Katamari. Um, I didn't play the other ones because I think the next one came out on the Xbox and I've read an Xbox. Um, but I got the re-release of the first game on the Switch. And uh, for people who don't already know, Katamari Damacy is a game where you play as the prince. You're a tiny little green guy or a tiny little guy in a green outfit anyway. And your entire job is to push around a gigantic ball that grows larger and larger as you pick up objects and in turn allows you to pick up larger objects. And so it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And that is the whole game. That's it. Your dad is the king of the cosmos. Uh, he rules. One night he goes out and he's partying too hard and he gets drunk or whatever. He accidentally destroys every star in the sky. And so then he sends you to Earth to pick things up and to send them into space to turn them into new stars. Um, and... What I was thinking about when I was playing it these last few days is it's just such a pure gaming experience. Like, it doesn't try to, like, bog you down with a hundred different mechanics. Uh, the story is there, but it's very thin. It's it's fun, you know, that, like, oh, this is wacky. My, my dad destroyed the universe, essentially, and now I have to go fixing it by picking up bottle caps and then buckets and then dogs and people and islands. <laughs> also, I can make space whole again. Um... And I don't have a whole lot more to say about it other than that. It's just, it's such a peaceful, pleasant, enjoyable time. And if you've never played Katamari Damacy, I really, really, really recommend getting it on the Switch. It's better than it was on the PS2 because the resolution is better and there's like so fewer frame rate issues, which were a big problem on the PS2 version. Like, of course it was playable. It's still a great game, but now I think it is better than it's ever been. Um, the only disappointment I have is I think I like the second game a little bit more. It just had more diversity in its levels yeah a lot of people have said i've never played either one but a lot of people it's just surprising they didn't port the second one at the same time like it would have made almost more sense just to release them as a two-pack that would have been great um and they didn't and that's fine because the first game is still great that if we love katamari is ever re-released i'm just going to consider that a gift from god that i've been living my life right and i'm finally getting some sort of payback for it so uh but yeah Two very different games, The Witcher 3, where you are a d dedicated professional monster slayer who can shoot fire, fire from his fingertips and goes around betting comely lasses, and then Katamari Damacy, where you're a, a tiny little boy that rolls up the universe. Yeah, I, kinda th I think that's, I mean, it's not like you don't, we both like each other's games, but I think our recommendations basically encapsulate whatever the difference is between us. I think you're right. I don't like that you're right, but I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what it means, but I, it just feels right. 